Welcome back to another episode of Innovations and Integrations. I'm Ryan with Team Koozie and uh, excited to be here today. Mark, could you introduce yourself and uh, just tell us about where you work and a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me here. This is going to be fun. My name is Mark Stansbury. I am a founding partner of Stansbury Weaver. We are a law firm that is built from the ground up to support digital first entrepreneurs. So uh, what that means is companies that have a, a strong digital focus, a strong digital presence, mostly it means startups, uh, tech companies, uh, software companies and that sort of thing. But we work with companies really across the board. Ah, very good. So how did you, you know, find this space? I mean, you're, you're the first attorney that we've, I've talked to that said, and, and there's so much opportunity there for sure, but you know, what made you choose this route and then kind of look at this uh, form of law? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know exactly, but I guess I've sort of always been a, a bit of a dork. I mean, yeah. <laughs> law school is a pretty natural place for dorks, but I, you know, I built my computer growing up from scratch. Um, you know, I didn't go so far as to really get any good at coding or anything like that, but I've always been interested in tech and yeah. really wanted to get into that space. Obviously, it's a dynamic. It's an interesting part of the economy, um, cutting edge on everything. So I uh, wanted to get into that, and after law school, I started out at a small firm. I was there for about a year, and it, it didn't really fit. It wasn't, um, you know, they had some really interesting clients, but no one on the tech side at all. It was really a lot of older economy stuff. So okay. from there, I went out and started my own practice and really made an effort to focus on doing corporate and business work for technology companies. Ah, very good. So, so you, you said you have a, a couple partners today? Yeah, sort of. So I've got... Uh, John Weaver, who co-founded it with me, yep. is still somewhat involved in the firm, but he's not really active day-to-day -day anymore, so mostly okay. it's just me running the show. We've got okay. a, a team of eight people now. Is this the same um, John Weaver that's involved in the restaurant, or uh, Donato's group? Yeah. The one and the same, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I know um, one of their partners, Amos Durbin, over at okay. Amos is a, is a good friend of mine, and we do a lot of work with Donato's. And okay. So, so talk about... You know, I'm not sure. Have you had much experience with Donato's? Talk about a tech-focused restaurant group. Some, yeah. It's a, interesting that you say that, actually. We just started working with Amos last week. Yeah, he's great. Started helping out with some stuff over there. Um, yeah, John. So John was obviously co-founded the firm and he was with us for a while. And then he went out to work with a client of ours, who's Mike Red, And he sort of took over his day-to-day. -day, and one yeah. of the things they did is this Donato's group. Yeah. And um, so through John, I got introduced to Amos and we started working together. Yeah, a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, Amos, uh, you know, I've known Amos for a few years now and just a uh, great guy and, like, love where he's at and, you know, his relationship with with all restaurants but then brands specifically and then, like, being, he's very forward-thinking, tech-focused. So um, we're excited to see where that kind of goes from the franchise group up. He's, uh, in his role previously at Corporate Denados, he kind of pushed them to be like, hey, let's do this. And they, they don't need pushing in the tech space by any means. They're doing all kinds of, of, of crazy things right now. So, you know, we're talking about restaurants yeah, right now. In the tech space specifically, which industry, which vertical are you seeing um, the most tech push in, in, in your space? In restaurants in particular, you're saying? In, in, in any in general? Vertical, in which, which vertical, which, uh, you know, work category? Really everything. I mean, the hottest thing right now is AI. Everyone's talking AI. Everyone's trying to integrate AI in different ways. And I know I saw an infographic the other day just showing there like hundreds of companies that have raised $5 million or more yep. for AI ventures in the last six months. It's just been absolutely bonkers. So yeah. a lot of that. Uh, we also have a pretty strong presence in healthcare technology. So, you know, there's... A lot of growth to happen there. Yep. 
um, and it, you know, healthcare continues to be a growing part of the economy in general. Yeah. And then inside that, the tech solutions are just exploding, including AI, of course. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've got a handful of uh, restaurant clients, both restaurant groups and sort of um, hospitality tech. Sure. Um, we have a client named called RoboJo. They're rolling out a robotic coffee shop. It's oh. a fully automated coffee shop. Amazing. It has the. It basically has all of the functionality of any coffee shop you'd go to. It can yeah. make you know any drink that you want. It can do foam art on the. And oh there's no gosh, person crazy. involved at all. So. Yeah. Like it's not going to be replacing your cool third wave coffee shop. Like yep. it's not going to replace one line or whatever where you right. go for the barista experience. But if it's like in the basement of a hospital where yeah. you've got some college kid who's not really loving the job, it's a perfect opportunity to deploy a machine like that. So that, that's amazing. Really cool. You know, and so we have the uh, the the fortune to get and see all these technologies from, from our role as the people that go out the boots and ground and install them. And it's it's so funny because, you know, in, in my four years here at Koozie, we've seen so much of the technology jump from industry to industry and space to space. And you, and you mentioned AI, and we were just at uh, a restaurant technology show two, three weeks ago, and the AI is a focus, whether it's video AI or voice AI, and we've got a lot of great partners uh, that are restaurant groups, uh, industrial groups, and everybody's looking at, hey, how do we make this better? I mean, obviously, um, the the workforces are a challenge for everybody right now, and they're, they're using AI to, to address a lot of this. Um, so let's talk about the legality and some of the things and that you guys are looking at, exploring at, and, and trying to figure it out. I think this is a lot like social media and everything else was at one point, and you know, yeah. we don't know what's wrong with it, or it's hard to define, but you know, you know what they're, you know, the challenges are when you see them. So talk to me a little bit about the AI component. Yeah, well, good timing on this question, actually. We're uh, just meeting today to talk about rolling out a probably bi-weekly email series and turn into blog posts on this topic because there's so many areas to explore. So if anyone's interested, they go to our website yeah. and sign up on the blog to get our emails and see this coming out in the next couple of weeks. But it's really all just bleeding edge. You know, there's not a lot of law around this. To some extent, there is because AI is just iterative and it's been building for years and years. And, you know, I mean, there was AI technology in the 70s that was going to do all this stuff. And there's been a lot of promise and a lot of dashed hopes and so on over the years. And with it has come regulation. But I don't think we've seen anything like where we're at now where it's right. just like consumers can grab a hold of it and understand it. People who aren't, you know, you don't need to have someone with a PhD in oh, yeah. machine learning to be able to build out useful tools using AI now. So I think you're going to see much more regulation coming around. So you know, like the White House has rolled out an initiative on it. Um, there's been proposed legislation at the federal level. Different states are rolling out proposed legislation. And all the different agencies are dealing with it. You know, we were talking about today the, um, the copyright office. And they're saying if you use ChatGPT, say, to, to generate some right. a text, a blog post or a book or whatever, it can't be copyrighted because it was created by the AI. And so that's analogous to other case law where like there was a a case where a monkey was take took a picture of himself and the question was does the monkey have the copyright because the monkey took the picture yeah they ruled that the monkey can't have copyright because it's not a human and so that carries over to ai but then the question is what happens when you have people who are actually creating lots of content using ai as sort of like a starting point how much yeah. do you have to change it at what point if you tell you know if you craft a prompt for um you know dolly or whatever any of these sort of image generating apps if you craft the prompt and it generates an image, 
why can't you claim copyright yeah. to that image? And then if you can't claim it, like what happens to copyright if suddenly you have this explosion of art that no one owns yeah. and it can all be copied? So there really aren't a lot of answers to these things. It's all being yeah. developed right now. And that's what we're hoping to explore in this email post series is just like all of these emerging areas yeah. and what's likely to happen in all of them. So something that we always are fascinated about, we've had conversations multiple times, is whether it's the restaurant space or the retail space uh, or even in the industrial space and the workflows is, is how people interact with the AI as consumers. So talk to me, whether it's license plate readers or it's like, hey, Ryan came through and he ordered a cheeseburger yesterday. Let's suggest a cheeseburger again or up, try to upsell them, Diet Coke, et cetera. So talk to me about how the AI and, and the legal ramifications of, of interacting with AI as a consumer. Yeah, I mean, it's going to vary from situation to situation, but there's a lot of, uh, there are going to be a lot of privacy implications there. And you know, privacy is a, also a pretty cutting edge thing where you have different jurisdictions competing to have the most uh, comprehensive privacy laws. For a while, it was the EU with GDPR, but California has maybe arguably overtaken them, um, certainly for US purposes. But they're not, California's not the only state with privacy laws, and right now there's not really a comprehensive federal regime for privacy, so it's just a patchwork of different states that are rolling them out. Um, you know, some have passed recently, and some are pending to, to go into effect this year. And so it depends on what state you're in. Right now, Ohio doesn't really have a privacy law that would be implicated in, I think, in the situations that you're describing. Sure. But... That could change any time, and also if you've got a restaurant group that's got multi-state yeah. exposure, what state do they follow if they're going to buy uh, yeah. like this AI system? They're probably going to want to roll it out to all of their franchise locations and not yeah. just one state. So uh, they've kind of got to be aware of what's the high water mark in yeah. terms of compliance, and then comply with that state. So right now we're seeing, and I was fortunate to see a demo last week. Is you know you talk about IoT and you talk about the AI specifically and cameras and you talk about monitoring. So you talk about the the, bring, the big brother factor, which everyone's freaking out because, hey, you know, you're monitoring on what's on my phone or what I'm Googling or whatever. And, you know, me personally, I don't care whether people are monitoring me because I don't do anything that's shady. If you want to look at my Amazon search history, go right <laughs> ahead. Um, but, you know, as this big brother thing kind of comes out, this uh, solution I saw last week, and it was an IoT solution where it was the cameras are interacting with the point of sales. And in this particular example, it was really cool slash interesting because, like, let's say you have a cashier who has a history of having transactions that are consistently off or they're having refunds and doing everything. What it does is it, it, it earmarks that person and it'll say, hey, Mark had five refunds that he did in this hour and it catalogs that point of sales transaction list and all the video that goes next to it. And it oh, does wow. that so you can say, mark suspicious transactions and brings it up and you can see if you know they're sweetheart checking, if they're doing this and you know to go on to a next level and in the retail space, if a cashier is doing things and their arm goes across the scanner 15 times but only 14 items got scanned you know, is this a coachable moment? Is this a, hey, this person's, you know, you know, shorting the, the till, et cetera. So have you seen anything in that kind of scenario where employees are, are being, there's more oversight to, you know, I think there's, you know, I'm, I'm big on being proactive and, and setting people up for success, but what is the legal ramifications of, you know, trying to watch somebody and, and catch them doing something that would be nefarious or off-putting? 
Yeah, so, well, I don't want to get too out of my depth here because I don't really focus a lot on employment law. Yeah. And, um, and you know, one of our attorneys does a lot of employment law, and she could probably speak to that sure. in more depth. But a lot of that's going to come down to, one, if it's in public, you know, the a company has a, a retail establishment has a right to monitor its yeah. premises. So having cameras is totally within the norm, and I think any employee would expect that there's going to be cameras watching the, the, watching the cash registers and so on. Uh, and then it comes down to what's in your employment agreement too. So yeah. you know, if you agree to be monitored, or you know, sure, if you've you've waived those rights, or you've basically like the employer has made it clear that this is going to be part of your employment, is we're going to be watching, yeah. and um, and you know, and that's pretty standard. Whether it's like new smart AI tools like you're describing, or just sort of more rudimentary, old school monitoring and compliance, yeah. it's. Yeah, it's become part of employment. So let's talk about that from the consumer perspective. And, you know, you pull into a driver's uh, uh, drive-through and it reads your license plate. And, you know, you don't want them monitoring the fact that you've hit McDonald's five days in a row. <laughs> or, and, you know, you've done that or whatever. So, and, and marketing towards you with pop-up ads and doing all that. And that's the kind of stuff. This is, this is the way it's trending. How... Does the law protect or expose consumers as they, as they, you know, get more exposure to the LPIs or the different uh, camera technologies? Well, it's going to seem like I'm punting a lot on this, but yeah, again, it's state yeah. by state and the law is developing. So, yeah. you know, it, when it comes to going to websites and having your information recorded, the law is more clear and you can you know, figure it out jurisdiction by jurisdiction. It's still pretty sure. patchwork, but, you know, you can... You get a cookie notice, you can reject cookies, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But if you're driving through someone's drive through on their property and they have a camera that catches your plate, you know, what are your rights? It's not so clear that you have sure. the right to be forgotten in that case, like you would in the EU maybe, or that you have the right to reject cookies. Yeah. If someone's monitoring your license plate and then sending you coupons because they know where you live and that sort of thing. So, so with all this gray area, are you seeing most of the things that are, you know, you're being approached about to be part of the, the conversation with and, and kind of evaluate? Are these, um, you know, are these conversations, are these legal uh, ask between the technology companies and the end user? Are they conversations between the consumer and the, the product that they're digesting? Where are you seeing like the most traction? Like, what is the relationship? Is it B two B? Is it B two C? Where is the where's the friction? I would say B two B for the most part is where you're seeing that. And it, the consumers come into it when they form interest groups and they lobby their legislatures, and yep. then pressure gets put on government to pass regulations or pass laws to to make changes there. But short of that, it's the technology companies that are building this out, and then the restaurant groups that they're selling to. The restaurant groups want extensive indemnification in situations like that to make sure that they're covered in the event that the tech group got something wrong. Right. And then, you know, depending on the restaurant group, their risk tolerance is going to determine how open they are to adopting right. new technologies or not. The tech companies, it's sort of the same in every tech solution and every tech wave. Mm -hmm. Some of the tech companies want to be incredibly aggressive and they don't want to yeah. worry about compliance until later. And some want to be very compliant at the outset. Yeah. And... You know, it takes some some sort of mix of risk tolerance to sure. to succeed there. So you, you don't want to be too reckless and be made of an example of because you're clearly right. violating people's rights or, you know, just doing things that seem unsavory. But at the same time, you, you know, it's an entrepreneurial reality that you got to be somewhat aggressive on these things where there's no, yeah. there's no law. So you don't know.
Uh, if you wait around for the law to pass, then it's going to be too late probably. So usually we are trying to advise the tech companies to take reasonable measures, like you know, trying to predict what the law is going to be to make sure that they're compliant with what it's likely to be. And then usually come. So is there AI to predict what the law is going to be? Yeah, I'm sure it's out there now. Yeah, sure. yeah. You just ask ChatGPT. Right. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't know, it'll easily come up with something. Yeah. Very convincing. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. So you know, I'm an entrepreneur mindset and have the the blessing of, of hanging out with a lot of entrepreneurs in various phases. People that have you know grown billion dollar businesses. People that are growing businesses that are going to be there someday. Um, you know, long tenured established businesses. So let's talk about those damn politicians and how they get in the way of, of development and everything. Do you have a piece of your day to day that you're wearing that lobbying hat and you're going down and, and rubbing elbows with those politicians and the people that, uh, I mean, in a lot of ways they're protecting people, but a lot of ways they're just getting in the way. So is that, is that part of your day to day? Yeah, not really. Uh, we're not really uh, doing lobbying. We're sort of more in the trenches, although we've been talking to some clients recently about being a little more proactive on some of these things that are developing. Yeah. Uh, in different spaces and you know as regulators pass proposed regulations so, so there typically is some a process where regulations are drafted based on expert insights and then they're proposed and then they get public feedback usually from industry groups yep. from lobbyists and that sort of thing and then they take those comments and under advisement and then either reject the proposed regulations amend them or adopt them so We've been talking about getting into that a little more and, and being a little more proactive because all of this stuff is so cutting edge. Yeah. It's just like the solutions being put forward by the government may be well-intentioned, but they're not always yeah. well thought through or they don't always understand that there are private market solutions. Yeah. And there, you know, there's, a, there's a place for both for sure. And the private market, in my personal view, isn't going to solve all these problems, but the you know regulatory state can definitely overreach and try and pass a solution where uh, a lighter touch may be appropriate and so yeah. we want to be able to help some clients out and get their point of view across and show that there are often tech solutions and when governments jump too quickly into regulatory responses they can oh that never happens <laughs> right right <laughs> they can stifle innovation that yeah. may have and often does work itself out if it's allowed to go a little bit longer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, you guys play in an area where you could base, I mean, I don't think there's ever going to be a conflict of interest because of how you're positioning yourself. And you know, you can, you can play that. I think uh, I love the lobbyists who, you know, they have their lobby accreditation and then they get involved in something and they just take credit for everything. Or they get something squashed, they get something across the finish line and who knows who is doing all the legwork. It's, it's typically... The actual people, whether it's you know the restaurant association, the grocery association, the industrial association, whatever it happens to be, um, that are doing all the work, and so it's just uh, it's interesting for that. So, um, yeah, and the unfortunate reality, I think, for most of clients that that we work with that are you know seed stage, Series A, Series B, is that they don't really have the clout or the resources to put much effort into yeah. that sort of thing. But whereas the much larger companies do, and so the the lobbying tends to come from trade groups and really large organizations and not so much from the smaller companies. And they can make an impact here and there, um, maybe provide some testimony, provide some insight to, to regulators, but they don't have the resources and they've got to be moving too fast to try and keep up with, yeah. or ahead of the competition. Um, so their, their priority really is on like 
what do we do to not get busted, not get thrown in jail? How do sure. we stay compliant? Um, you know, how can we, how can we help them get ahead of issues um, where regulations don't exist and just yeah. sort of like anticipate what's likely to happen and yeah. then act in good faith in that direction. So, so talk, let's talk about the, the compliance thing and, and your time in this kind of role. What is, and you don't have to use like these actual examples, but have you come across something where there, like it's innovation, it's, it's, it's always this new, it's like things people haven't thought about. I don't think anyone would have thought about, um, you know, this automation and, and writing papers and doing all of this stuff today. So have you seen anything that you're like, holy shit, that, that, that is something that has never been regulated because it's not been thought of and it's, a, it's an open chalkboard? And you, maybe the answer is no. I mean, there's regulations, with, you know, their laws or those textbooks that you read many moons ago or are thick for a reason. But tell me, like, is there anything that you're like, holy cow, that's crazy and there's nothing, there's no strings attached to what that could or can't be? So I don't know that we've come across anything where it's just total white space. Yeah. I mean, there's enough, as you said, there's enough law and regulation yeah. that there's going to be something. I mean, every business is impacted by a, you know, a, a, a litany of laws that impact various parts of its business. So there's no, not going to be any sort of business that shows up where it's not impacted mm -hmm. at all. On a specific issue that they're dealing with, for sure, there are many instances where it's not clear or where the law's deliberately or not deliberately vague and yep. leaves a lot of room to operate in there. And so we're able to provide guidance on what we recommend sure. and what we think will not get someone in trouble. But often the law leaves enough, especially in the regulatory space, you know, like where the statutes often are more high level and then the yep. regulations fill in. And the regulations may leave ambiguity where um, the enforcement agencies have room to come in yep. when they think someone's sort of crossed the line and it's more principles-based in some of those instances. So in those cases, we're able to provide guidance on things that people want to do that haven't, don't have any sort of like written opinion, don't have sure. any enforcement action on what they're trying to do. So in that case, talk to me a little bit about, you know, where your ventures typically start? Do they start with entrepreneurs who are like, hey, is this gonna be such a pain in the ass legally to get this thing to a place where it's generating revenue and it's gonna be a profitable business? Like if someone says, hey, they come to you with an idea before they you know, put pen to paper and do this, are they coming to you after the ball's already rolling and like, Almost hey, never, yeah. yeah, almost never. Usually yeah. they're, they're showing, sometimes that does happen yeah. where not too much work has been made, not too much progress has been made and they want to check and make sure that it's okay, it's compliant, they're not going to get in trouble. That's the exception of the rule. Yeah. Usually what happens is the entrepreneur is moving full speed ahead as, you know, built a company, has started maybe generating some revenue or is out trying to um, raise capital. And then we start talking to them about, you know, like, is this okay what you're trying to do? And yeah. maybe we need to, at that point, it's a pretty hard sell to say, like, just shut it down and walk away because yeah. they usually have some success, they've got some traction. And so we're trying to help modify what they're doing in a way that makes sure that it's compliant either well obviously with existing laws but also with what we anticipate to be the laws that are likely to come around soon so that's much more often the case though sure. is that usually legal isn't being brought in on day zero it's right. you know the company's been along for a little while they've got some traction sure now it makes sense for them to expend resources on legal and then sometimes unfortunately yeah. they find out that they're doing things that they probably shouldn't have been doing yeah. all along how are you, 
meeting these clients as they do things? Is this an organic process? Are you, you know, what does that look like for you? How are you engaging? Because I mean, some of these people, they lurk in the shadows until they're a billion dollar company. You don't know anything about them and you're like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, yeah. for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of how we're getting in touch with people, it's just sort of old-fashioned networking, yeah. referrals. Um, you know, we work with enough entrepreneurs that the entrepreneurial community in Columbus, but just in general, globally, yeah. is a fairly small community. And, yep. and, and and one of the things I love about entrepreneurial community, being an entrepreneur myself, but also representing entrepreneurs, is that they tend to be open with their struggles and with helping each other along. Yeah. It tends to be, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of competition in the space, but... It tends to be fairly supportive and collaborative, yeah. um, especially in earlier stages where everyone's got similar struggles. And so when we help one client out, they often know others who are in that space and getting started. And so it's like, yeah. help the next generation out. And as part of that, they can refer them to service providers, including us. Do you, uh, do you know uh, Heartland Ventures? You know those guys? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. They, they would seem to be a good marriage for you guys. And yeah, um, yeah, they're great. I think Max was on your podcast yeah. a little, little while ago. Yeah, those guys are fantastic, and, and they send me pretty regularly, like, hey, check this out. Just give me what you, know, you think from our perspective, and uh, we value that partnership with them. And it's just like I said, I think Columbus is such a cool community because there's so much going on, but it's like, hey, if I want to get a hold of you know, X, Y, or Z, it's, doesn't, it's not that big of a lift to get in front of the right people. Yeah. And you know, they might tell you you're crazy, or they say, hey, you know, I want to invest in that. So it's still a small town, right? Yeah, still they got that vibe for sure. We actually co-sponsored the RTRX Pelotonia event oh, nice. the last couple of years with uh, with Heartland Ventures. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Did um, as you as you start to kind of look at um, you know, partnerships and as you engage with these folks, are you being brought in? You know, during any of that seed phase where they're raising money and and giving perspective as they raise money to say, hey you guys could have this huge obstacle to overcome and you may not be able to pay these guys back. Yeah, absolutely. So from, from our perspective, the earlier we're brought in, the better. Yeah. And the, the way we work is we don't... That's so you can start billing earlier. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Just get that clock going. No, yeah, so we don't uh, actually, we don't bill hourly. We bill either on a flat fee basis or oh, cool. we have a subscription model, which is kind of the core of our business. Oh, nice. It sort of sets us apart. Um, That's cool. The subscription model tends to work best for companies that are a little further along and raised a little bit of money. Yep. But we do one-off flat fee projects for companies at all stages, including you know, like setting up your LLC, getting out of the gate where yep. people want. I know that you can go online and get it done, but a lot of times people want someone to help walk them through and understand yeah. what they need to know about it. And so we're helping from that stage on. And when it comes to capital raises, we'll do those on a flat fee basis, which means that it makes sense to engage us earlier than later so we can yeah. help advise where the, the funding can still be shaped, where we can still impact what's going to be on the term sheet. When we get brought in after a term sheet's been signed, our hands are kind of tied, and there's still plenty of work to be done. But yeah. it's harder to influence what the, you know, what the finances is going to look like. Harder to advise the entrepreneur on what they should have done yeah. in negotiating a term sheet. So yeah, I mean, basically on on everything we do, it's better for us to be brought in earlier than later, and we try to accommodate that with our pricing model, where it's communication with us is unmetered. Once we're engaged with someone, they could talk to us as much or little as they yeah. want to. So do you think in, in your day-to-day, -day, are you mostly being proactive or reactive to what you're just being thrown your way? Well, it's a, it's a mix. Yeah. I would like it if we were always being proactive, yeah. but that's not the reality of the sure. world, unfortunately. And, and even when you try to be proactive, you can't anticipate everything. So things are going to come around and we have to be yeah. reactive to them. Not yet. The AI is going to fix Not yet. Yeah. 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 That's the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean... 
We'll see. Yeah. We'll be there. But yeah, one of the the core beliefs of our business is that we're much better off if we're helping clients build fences at the top of the cliff, sure. not ambulances at the bottom. You yeah. know, like try and prevent problems before they manifest into really expensive, time-consuming, emotionally draining problems. Yeah. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about some of the technologies. I mean, we talked a lot about AI today, but some of the, you know, the outliers of those things that you've seen, and I know you probably have things you can and can't talk about, but talk about, like, hey, what is the coolest, wildest thing that you've seen? And maybe it doesn't have to be something that you've represented either, but something that's the most intriguing to you or kind of brings you back for more. Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, so much of the technology that we see, both in our clients and the local market and then globally, is just so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, really, at the moment, we really are like really stuck on this AI thing and yeah. thinking about different ways that we can implement it in our own practice. And we've already started rolling it out. We've had it help draft contracts. They still need a lot of yeah. second looks, right. but it's it's pretty nice. It speeds things up from our perspective. And, and you know, it's nice to be able to use some of these tools. There's some AI legal tools that are being rolled out. Still a little clunky, but yeah. they're getting better fast. Um, some of the things that I, I really love are just these like uh, not flashy, more industrial pieces of technology. Yeah. Um, so um, when I started the first year of my practice, I was at a firm, and one of the clients that they had, which I always thought was really cool, was this was a company that did chicken processing equipment, and they just yeah. it just chopped up chickens for, you know, you sell yeah. these machines to like Purdue or whatever. There's not right. a lot of buyers yeah. for these machines, right? but it's just like so foundational. It's just like a really cool piece of technology that solves a very specific problem yep. for a very small number of buyers. It's not like, this isn't TikTok, right? but it's just very nitty gritty, like grimy, uh, functional tech that just yeah. has to work for a specific group of people. I really think stuff like that is cool. And yeah. that's like, we see a lot of that in the healthcare space where it's all like behind the scenes, it's very regulatory driven, it's not really sexy stuff, right? but it's solving real problems for real people and that's yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, the, the functional tech and, and to me, you know, we look at our partnerships with our end users, whether they're restaurants, whether they're people in the medical space, industrial, retail, et cetera, the, the functional tech, what I love is seeing something in the medical space and taking it to the restaurants and saying, hey, have you guys seen this? Because it's applicable to what you're doing. Or we have you know, somebody come yeah. through and say, we're trying to solve this problem in the back of the house. What have you guys seen? And the beautiful thing about us is we don't resell anything. We're just trying to be the people that are extensions of the people we work with and, and do the installations. So they know I'm not taking a kickback from saying, this point of sales is best in class. I'm saying, hey, meet these guys. If it works out, hopefully we get to do the installs. If not, you know, we'll be around for other things. So that functional tech is, is so key to everything you're doing. So have you seen anything so far in your career that has uh, transitioned from, from one industry to another? I'm trying to think of specific examples. I mean, yeah. I mean it all kind of does, right? I mean, that's right. all like, it, it all bleeds Absolutely. over and there's just so much of that. And like, not to keep going back to AI, but you're right, going yeah. to see a whole bunch of that real soon where yeah. all these solutions are being rolled out in one domain and they're rolled over to other domains. Um, yeah, I mean, and just like one of the great things about the current tech revolution that we've been in for the last 30, 40 years or yeah. whatever is that the the software is so flexible that solutions that are developed in one domain are yeah. easily rolled over in other domains. 
the tools that are built in one piece of technology now are able to easily talk to yeah. other pieces of technology and so you can cobble things together and, and come up with solutions so it's, it's really cool i mean the, yeah. you know <laughs> i'm sure i'll think of as soon as we get off here, oh, yeah. some examples but just like all of the things that we see are iterative from other industries and other sectors. So, so you were a self-proclaimed nerd earlier, and so let's talk about when you start working with a client, like you yeah, know. Yeah, there's that's an example. It's like speaking. Of, so I was just thinking about building my computer and like yeah. putting in a graphics card back in the day when the graphics card first came out. And I, yeah. I remember getting a six meg graphics card, and it was like all the other graphics cards were four meg. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, it's just different. Sorry, I don't know if I can. No, that's fine. I it was so impressive. It, it, yeah, we can swear. It's, it ran it's good. Quake yeah. so well or whatever, but yeah. but like the those came out because games started demanding all of these like multi point processors. Yeah. But now those are being used for AI solutions. Like suddenly yeah. the way that that machine learning is done changed because they realized they can now use these yeah. different this different architecture. It wasn't designed for right. large language models at all, but suddenly the 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 Tools that were used to generate lots of pixels at once can now yeah. be used for lots of words or tokens or whatever the, sure. the unit is at once. And so it's just a total crossover that's created this whole new revolution. Yeah. So as you start to look at these technologies that you're working with, you're representing and you're helping, you know, work their processes out, how far in the weeds, you know, you said you have that natural curiosity to understand how things work. But I mean, obviously you're not, you know, a tech guy, you're not a you know, a developer. Yeah. So how far are you getting in? Are you learning the, the basis and saying, hey, this is how this law is applying? Or is it one of those situations where you're digging until you're figuring out where the, the crossover and the friction's created? I mean, so we're not like in in the code base, right, you yeah. know, so to speak, but the I do believe that the more we know about how our clients are working, sure. what they're building, and how their products work, how their products work, but also how their products are presented to clients, how they're sold, how they're used in the marketplace, all yeah. of that. The more we know, the better we can advise. Yeah. That's kind of the core of our subscription model, actually, is developing a long-term relationship with our clients yeah. in order to better understand everything about their business so that sure. we can provide really like comprehensive general counsel yeah. advice where we understand what the product is, how the product's built, how the product iterated over time, how it's being sold, but also understand who are the people who are building the product, who are yeah. the entrepreneurs, who are the executives? Who's on the board? What are the risk tolerances of all these individuals? So it's like, the more we know, the better. Yeah. Um, there's a, a Edward Bennett Williams, a, a famous litigator, used to own the Redskins. Yeah. Said, "There's no substitute for knowing everything." Right. That's a. <laughs> I hold that yeah. comment closely and dearly. Um, obviously, you can only know so much, and in litigation, it's a little easier because there's a closed universe. Sure. In Transactional work—it's just everything could possibly impact a business. But I, you know, I, I try and hold to that. The more we know, the better we can do. So, how often, when you when you go to these things and you're evaluating them, and there's conflict between two parties, is it actually going to the litigation process, or is it being settled more times than not? I mean, and, and how are you making? So, I, I think that the cool thing about what you're doing is is you're not only impacting you know person one and person two. You're also helping to you know pave the path for people forward. So, how often are you guys getting in front of a judge and their settlements reached, et cetera? So we don't litigate as a firm anymore. Okay. We used to do litigation, but felt that we, we needed to try yeah. and specialize. Right. In, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's there's some fun parts about litigation from a lawyer's perspective. Right. Not really any from a client's perspective. Sure. But uh, it's 
we found that we were better served uh, and our clients were better served by us focusing on helping them proactively and help avoid problems. Yeah. That said, we are in the middle of disputes all the time before they get sure. to litigation. And sometimes we hand it off to a litigator and yeah. uh, so, you know, it ends up in court. But even cases when they lead the litigation, they're filed. In Ohio, something like 1% of civil cases reach trial. So yeah. almost nothing ever reaches trial. It's become prohibitively expensive to get that far along. Sure. What we always try to be able to do is help our clients work out solutions before it even gets to a litigator. And yeah. more often than not, we can do that and we can help them reach some sort of solution. Usually there's a business solution that's vastly better for everyone than litigation solution. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just straightforward, you know, total disagreement. One person did work, the other person didn't pay. Yeah. What are you going to do? Or one person owns the IP, the other person's using the IP and won't stop using the IP. What yeah. are you going to do? But those are sort of the exception. Usually there's a way to find a business solution that's workable that makes everyone happy. It might take a little bit of creativity, but you know, usually we can help parties come together and get that done. Yeah, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so, so what do you see, what's your future look like? One year from now, five years from now, where do you see it? Well, only the technology will tell maybe, who knows? Yeah, great question. Um, so we're gonna continue building out our subscription model. That's the core of what we do. And trying to offer more and more in the way of uh, legal wellness. So having solutions to help help our clients have all of the pieces in place they need to grow a business. So yeah. one of the interesting things to me about startup companies as opposed to like service businesses like my own is that startup tech companies are really just small, big companies. Yeah. They've got all the problems. They've got HR, they've got yeah. corporate issues, they've got tax issues. They have all the issues of big company. They just don't have the resources to do it. But yeah. they're raising the resources, they're generating revenue, they're trying to grow. And it's very important to get the foundation as right as possible so that when they grow, their legs don't crumble out from underneath them sure. and they fall over, right? And that happens a lot. You find companies that grow big and then they've got rot inside that has been there since the beginning when companies skimped on things often it's related to employees and yeah. HR issues and that sort of thing but can also be uh, cap table issues and tax issues that sort of thing sure. so trying to help make sure that our clients have um, as comprehensive of coverage as possible and really focus on the health of the business yeah. and making sure that all of the boxes are checked and all the things are in place so so that they're able to grow yeah. successfully without having to stay awake at night worrying about whether, you know, what's lurking in our contracts that we didn't think about, or do we have contracts in place with our key, so key yeah. suppliers or key customers at all? That sort of thing. Yeah, no, it, it's smart. And you, know, you think about wellness, it's, 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 you're not, everyone, I think, they think of lawyers, they think about that litigation piece, or they think about the lobbying yeah. piece, they don't think about the, the wellness piece. And I think it's, it's so vital to what you guys are providing today, because you're, you're that physician, you're that nutritionist, that personal trainer, you're, you're that all in one, so that there's a ton of value for entrepreneurs and I think as you said you know a lot of times what we see is these people and this is in every category um, and you know I use this analogy in the beer space a lot too but you have this person that has this wonderful technology but they have zero business sense and, they have, and they've never done it and that's no fault of their own is that they're so focused and they're so and that's what they needed to do to make that technology as good as possible but all those things you talk about it's, it's, it's things that you, you learn from real life experience, you learn from exposure, you learn from, from seeing other people doing that. And so you having that one-stop shop to help guide these people and you know, be the Magellan of their, of their venture is, is pretty impactful, I'm sure. Um, so what is that, is this something, you know, your contracts typically, you know, subscription-based, 
are they year based? Are they six months based? Are they open ended? So they're actually month to month. Yeah. Um, you know, we want clients to be with us as long as they want to be with us. And yeah. We don't have very high churn, but clients are free to leave anytime they yeah. want. The goal, though, is that we have an indefinite relationship. We yeah. Ideally, we'd start with a client when they start their company and be with them until they sell the company. Yeah. And that the longer we are with a client, the better work we can do, the yeah. better we understand. Sure. As I was saying earlier, the better we understand the personalities, the dynamics of the company, what they're selling, who they're selling to, and all that, the better yeah. we can do. But you know, if someone doesn't want to be around, if they don't think we're providing value, then we shouldn't be working with them. Yeah, absolutely. Are you guys engaging with any of like the local VC firms as well as they start to bring in new valuating new things? Is that something? Is that a channel for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think that usually we're working with clients before they're talking to VCs, yeah. so more on the angel. And we'll make introductions and stuff. We're not a broker dealer, so we're not helping to sell any of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're not yeah. trying to close deals, but. Right. If we know someone who might be a good fit, we're more than happy to long, pass along a pitch deck, make an introduction. Sure. And usually that's at the angel or, you know, sometimes at the early stage VC, we'll, you know, pass stuff along to Heartland, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're great. We've, we've done the same. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think Columbus being so small-minded or small-scale, but, like, big city, and, and I think we're getting to that big city thing pretty quickly. So we'll see what all this development looks like. So, so, so yeah, tell it's, me. It's been pretty wild. I mean, just the city over the last... I don't know, 10, 20 years oh, yeah. has changed pretty dramatically. Yeah, it's, it's knock on wood, the traffic's still not terrible. So we'll uh, hopefully, so, I'll, I'll probably be stuck in traffic on the way home tonight, but it's what it is. So, so tell me, like, what is, what gets you out of bed every day? What's the favorite part of your job? What, what, what you know, keeps you coming back? Taking my kids to school? Oh, yeah. uh, not yeah. that. Um, it, really, it's just helping entrepreneurs. I, yeah. I'm really energized by talking to entrepreneurs about what they're trying to do the challenges they're facing and the vision that they have and like trying to help them think through sure. what are they doing and how can they get where they want to go. Yeah. That's just, that's exciting. I mean, that's why I got into doing this work in this space in the first place. Sure. To work with entrepreneurs. I love the energy. Uh, you know, frankly, I love the energy whether someone wants to set up a, set up a popsicle stand or wants to set up a new yeah. billion dollar AI company or whatever. It's all, it's awesome energy. Um, you know, Did I, you have like an aha moment throughout your, you know, your journey here? That was your watershed moment. You're like, this is what I'm gonna do. I mean, this is so unique. Um, I mean, the entrepreneur stuff. There's people that do that, but blending that with the tech space. Did you have a, a day where you know that breaker was just tripped? No, not any sort of like. Uh, there wasn't any sort of like light bulb moment yeah. or whatever. It's just sort of I, I was into the stuff and I started getting into it more and more. Um, you know, probably the closest thing would be when I started my own firm yeah. and went out and just. Went to a networking event in Columbus the day after I started my own firm. I yeah. printed out my business cards on from Microsoft Word on Love printer it. paper and yeah. cut them out with scissors. And yeah. which you know, I it's all I had at the time. I didn't have time to get cards made, but the community, as you might imagine, loved it and was yeah. like, "Oh, that's great!" Also, so I was handing out these cards. I probably know a third of the people I know in Columbus, Ohio, from that one night. Yeah, just like amazing, great group of people. And you want to give that networking event a plug? Dude, what, what, what was the event you were at? Oh, God. What was the event? It's all right if you don't. I think I just, it was like a Seabuster event. Yeah, if you remember that? Yeah. Like networking group? Yeah. I yeah. think it was that. Yeah. I was at, was at a place on North Campus on High Street. Yeah. Man, I can't remember. Well, a lot of my nights in North Campus, I don't remember anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Same, but those are a little further back in time. Yeah. No, that, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, well, yeah, this has been great. It's, it's always good to do that. We'll probably uh, have some opportunities to get you in front of those people we're working with. We're always out, 
engaging, checking on your technology trade shows. Uh, we just got back from a trade show that I mentioned, and I said, like, the camera AI, the new um, voiceover AI, all the different things you see. And to us, you know, that's, that's part of the fun. That's, that's like the cool part about our job is seeing all this new technology and saying, hey, we just saw this group and we just came back from this show. I think we've engaged with like four to five like startup groups. Say, hey, how are you approaching this? And, and ultimately, I think we have people that we've seen in these startup alleys over the past, you know, four years that are full-fledged like thriving companies now and we're part of their yeah. strategy. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's it, really cool. it, it's, and I think that's very similar. It's a different path that, you know, we're, we're helping in different ways. Uh, but we give that, I mean, there's been times we've talked and sat down and we're like, dude, you guys sure that's the best approach? That <laughs> You know, we've done this a lot. And from our perspective, you might do that. So um, is there anything else you wanted to close or anything you wanted to add on? No, we've had a few of those too where it's like, maybe, maybe rethink, yeah. maybe go back to school for a few years and then try your idea again. Usually the ideas are pretty well thought through. And, and even them, you know, I probably don't have to tell you this, but even the best thought through ideas are going to have a lot of pivots and turns and so many things you can't anticipate. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's, it's funny to me that it's a pretty common story when you talk to entrepreneurs who are successful 10, 20, 30 years later into their success. Would you have done this if you had known what it took? Hell no. No, no way I would have ever yeah. done it. Yeah. But there's sort of this like naive optimism yeah. and energy that Yeah, that there's a romance it, with it for sure. It's great, yeah. And yeah. so... Part of, unfortunately, part of our job is to sort of pop that balloon and, yeah. and take some air out of it, but...